Relation 12, 2 verses 12 to 17. To the angel of the church of Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has a sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin, so that they ate food, sacrificed to angel, uh, idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears... Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I'll give some of the hidden manna. I'll also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Good. Well, we are carrying on with the book of Revelation. We are at the third of the churches that we are looking at, the third church. This morning we are looking at the church of Pergamum. I'm going to say in advance, if you hear me say Pergamum, excuse me, for some reason I keep wanting to slip it in instead of an M there. Uh, Force of, uh, just a bit of a habit, I don't know why. Uh, Cool. Well, before we begin, I'm going to open in a word of prayer for us, and then we're going to dive into this passage. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time this morning that we can sing together. We can proclaim your goodness, uh, your grace over our lives and over one another's lives. Father, as we do gather together, I pray that also you will challenge us with your word. Speak into our hearts, speak into our minds, speak into our lives, that we may be transformed uh, by the renewing of our minds. And I pray, Father, that we will not uh, be swayed by uh, confusion, by this world and this life that we live in that is filled with all sorts of things that lead us astray, but that we will fix our eyes on you and hold fast to our faith and proclaim your goodness all our days. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good. It was great to be able to share these passages with you. Um, Ludwig kicked us off with the first three sections, and he looked at the first church, Ephesus. And then I took up uh, Smyrna last week, and this week we're looking at Pergamum. I want to just make a statement quickly, just to keep this in mind as we look at it. It needs to be said that as you look at these letters, don't ever exclude any of the letters. It's so important. All these letters end with something so crucial, and we need to actually say it up front. It all ends by saying, whoever whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So these letters are interwoven. They are important to one another, 
as much as they are important to us today. So that needs to be said up front. It is important that as we look at the letter to the church at Pergamum, it is applicable what has been said. There is the risk that they can run into going down the road that Ephesus has gone down or going or needing encouragement like Smyrna needed. Uh, Pergamum has a word for themselves, but a word that is true for the other churches, but also all the words to the other churches are true to them. And that counts for us today. We're not sitting here this morning saying, I think we are the church of Pergamum, or I think we are like the church at Smyrna. No, we are like all of the churches that need to hear this truth, because it is true for all of us sitting here today in this church as a body of believers, as well as obviously the broader church, all those that proclaim Jesus Christ. So that's important to just keep that in mind. These aren't disconnected, they aren't disjointed, they aren't independent, they are for the churches. Very important. Great. Just imagine a little bit, Sean was playing around with uh, senses and smells and tastes and all of those things. Uh, Close your eyes for a moment if you want and just picture what I'm about to describe for you. We are sitting here in Somerset West, so you can have that picture, it's not hard to imagine, so... If you want, look around. There we go. Close your eyes and you see that in your mind. Here we're sitting. But in your wallet, if you take out your wallet or your purse or whatever, you find a coin. And on that coin, you don't have the big five. You have the big one. And the big one is that of the emperor who rules, the tyrant who rules over us today. And on the other side of that coin is not... A picture of the coat of arms, but instead it is an emblem of a God. Not your God, not Jesus Christ, not the cross, a other God. A God that looks different to who you believe. Not only is that happening in your pocket, but you walk outside these doors and you look to Helderberg Mountain. And there at Helderberg Mountain, you can see in the distance, established around the mountain, is places of worship. Not like our place of worship here, but places of worship dedicated to loads and loads of gods that are not your God. The people that you pass on the street are not like those that are sitting next to you. They are bending the knee to anyone or all of these gods. And they are bending the knee to the tyrant king, emperor that rules over this city. If you go out and you proclaim that what they believe is false, you will possibly be arrested. You will possibly be hurt, abused, laughed at, ridiculed, cut out from society. You won't be able to go to the shops tomorrow. Because everybody will know that you are not part of this world and this empire. You can open your eyes again if you're still closing your eyes. Or if you've fallen asleep in these comfy chairs. But can you feel the sense of that world as you picture that, as you see that? It looks very different to this kind of world. But this is the world of Pergamum. Pergamum is a city that is renowned for its, in a sense, its power above even all the other cities. They are a little bit better, a little bit stronger, a little bit more important. I counted just some of the 
gods and their temples that were established in Pergamum. And this is just to give you a few. I think there were more. I don't know. These are the ones that I could get. It was Zeus, Athena, Apollo, As... Uh, no, I'm not going to get this right. Asculapius, uh, Dionysus, and Aphrodite. That's just to mention a few. These were worshipped by the people... And sacrifices were made by the people of Pergamum to these gods. They feared these gods as much as they feared the Roman emperor. The Roman emperor wasn't a human being like you and me either. The Roman emperor in that day and that time was seen as a son of God or actually given the title the Lord or Lord. And this is frightening the world of Pergamum, that you just picture in your mind and see it. We don't quite see it like that today. We step outside and people carry on. You don't know whether they are for or against, good or bad, believe in the same thing, don't believe in the same thing. There's so much diversity in our world that actually it can muddy the water quite a lot. You've got to be so careful what you're saying to people because you don't know if they agree with you, if they don't agree with you, if they... You don't know. But for Pergamum, this was the norm. This was what was expected of you. This is the life that they had. There was many gods. Not only was Pergamum known for its many gods, it was known to be one of the first cities in 29 BC, 29 BC, before Christ. 29 BC... They established the first temple, not dedicated to a God, dedicated to the Caesar, to be worshipped. It was the first city out of Asia Minor to establish a temple dedicated to the Caesar. Not only did they do that, but they did it, as far as I understand, twice. And not only that, but... Pergamum became the center of the judicial system for Asia Minor. So all these letters that we are looking at to these churches, they were the judge city for all of them. They, if there was a problem, if there was an issue among the cities, the cities would turn to Pergamum to deal with big issues, to bring in justice, to bring in a system that would sort things out. This is quite an impressive city if you look at it on paper, but quite a frightening one if you're a Christian. This city is about gods and power and being the center of this world, which is Asia Minor. Not Roman Empire, but of Asia Minor as a Roman colony. They were the center of this kind of world, trying to establish themselves as the most important of all the cities in and around them. Does that give you a feel just of Pergamum? Do you feel it? Do you understand? Do you get, an, get a sense of what's happening here? And so this is what is being written to this little church established in this city. This is a letter written to a church that is hanging on for survival in the midst of 
of religious and political power in a whole other way that we don't, as I say, even fully grasp today. So that's why we have to paint the picture, try and feel it. And it begins like this. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, these are the, are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. Now this is an incredible way to start a letter like this. First and foremost, we know that this is speaking about Jesus Christ. If you remember, we looked at that in uh, Revelation 1, picking up in verse 16, if you want to just look back there, it says, In the right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. So in John painting the picture of who he saw when he saw Jesus Christ, he saw him with a double-edged sword coming from his mouth. This is what he saw. And now it is this Aspect, can I put it that way? This aspect of who Jesus Christ is that he is about to speak from. Now what makes this so amazing is it says, these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. Now what is a double-edged sword? It is a sword that brings judgment, is the picture that we get from the Bible. It is a sword of judgment. Not only that, but in the world of Pergamum and in the world of Rome, it is granted by the pro it's a proconsul granting the right of the sword. That's a weird kind of phrase, but it is the right of the sword was given to Pergamum to wield a sword, which was wielding a sword of judgment. And here, it is the one who out of his mouth comes the double-edged sword. He is about to speak to the church that is in the midst of a city that is one of judgment. A city that sees themselves as an authority, sees themselves as an ability and capable of judging, here, the judge is going to speak. The real judge, the true judge with a double-edged sword that is able to cut between spirit and soul, bone and marrow. Jesus is about to speak to this church. Greater than the judge that Pergamum, Pergamum can be and greater than any form of power or authority that can flow from them. Verse 13, it says, I know where you live. So just as we painted that picture, Jesus says, I know where you live. I see it. I see what's happening around you. I see the gods. I see the, the worship of idols. I see the worship of the, the emperor. I see all of those things. I see where you live. Beyond that, where Satan has his throne. I see it. I know it's complicated. I know it's a hard, difficult environment that you're in. And then he says, with encouragement, he says these words, yet you remain true to my name. You don't sway from proclaiming my name. You don't shy away from it. You will stand, and I see that, that you proclaim my name against the name of the emperor, against the name of the gods. You Remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness. You didn't turn when you saw one of the faithful being martyred for what he proclaimed. Even in the midst of seeing someone proclaiming the gospel being killed, possibly suggestion is that he was burnt to death 
you held on. You continued to hold on to the faith. You didn't give up. Even when you saw that, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city. And listen to how it ends again, where Satan lives. Pergamum is a city where this church is dwelling and lives, but in the city, Satan lives as well. Now, you would almost expect that it would seem like the right thing would, what the right thing to do for them would be to get out. Don't live there. Satan lives there, get out. But that doesn't seem to be the suggestion. Just because Satan is there doesn't mean you must flee. Now, this is obviously particularly to this church in Pergamum who is standing their ground proclaiming the gospel in the midst of all sorts of other teachings. And he's saying, be faithful, continue to be faithful to what you are proclaiming, even in the midst of this dwelling place of Satan. Well, in a, li- in a world like that, it's not all that easy, as you can imagine. There is going to be some swaying. So if I have to pause there and ask you to consider where have you in the past week been worshipping other idols, or idols, other idols suggest that you are already, no, sorry. Where are you worshipping idols in the last week? Have you been? Have you been honoring someone more than you've been honoring God this week? Have you been making sacrifices to God, eating meat and food that you probably shouldn't be eating in fellowship with those gods? Maybe the slightly more complicated one is, has there been sexual immorality in your life in this week? Well, see, for us, it becomes a little bit more complicated because it's a little bit more blurred. The type of lives that we live now is so integrated. There's things happening all around us, so much information, so much of the world being pumped into our homes simply through whether it's a TV, cell phones, whatever. That is constantly bombarding us with a risk of being compromised. A risk of being exposed and being swayed by something that is other than the gospel and Jesus Christ. So it's a frightening reality. We live in a world that to actually say, there's a God that I don't acknowledge and I don't want to worship, is far harder in this day and life and culture because it is through how we look at the world, how we feel about the world, what we understand about reality and life and it merges with what we proclaim and believe as Christians and it becomes confusing so I want to say in one sense Pergamon was clear they knew they were gods there was an emperor and people worshipped them for us today there's this this confusion of what's happening and so I'm not saying we are worse or better but we run the same risks of being compromised in our faith in what we proclaim, what we, be- what we believe. And this is what Jesus then says to this church. Listen to verse 14. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, 
There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So here's the confusing part, is here in the midst of this church in Pergamum, not everything is going perfectly. There is a level of compromise to what is happening. Now, if you go and read the story of Balak and Balaam, it's very confusing, and you can go and read that in Numbers. But it is a confusing story of how Balak wants Balaam to curse Israel, they Moabites, and then eventually what we end up is there's a skip in the story in some sense, and suddenly the Moabite women are in the Israelite camp, and there is a whole bunch of sexual immorality taking place, and there is a whole bunch of sacrificing to idols taking place. And how that transpired is not 100% clear, but it happens. And so this section here is giving reference to that event. Israel was compromised by sexual immorality and idolatry. And not only that, there's another reference here to the Nicolaitans. And what's confusing about the Nicolaitans is, well, we actually don't really know who they are. There is suggestions as to who it may be. It may be that this was followers of a former Jew turned, not former, pagan turned Jew turned Christian turned introducing pagan traditions back into his belief. It could be that that's what was happening, which will simply look very similar to what was happening with those that followed the teaching and persuasions of Balaam. To have in the midst of a church, the acceptance of eating, and it's not simply eating food sacrificed to idols, it's a level of fellowship in the process with idols and feasting along with. There is that level to which it is. It's slightly more than simply eating food bought at a marketplace that may have been sacrificed And that's something else that one can look at. But this was something a little bit more confusing, a little bit more ominous, a little bit more relational and giving in to something that one shouldn't. And then obviously the sexual immorality, which is broad and confusing as well within the context of the Roman Empire, as they practice multiple forms of sexually immoral things, that was blurred and absolutely horrendous. And so, Jesus says to the church, don't be compromised. There is something happening here where there is a teaching that is not in line with who I am and with what I'm proclaiming. Repent. Turn from that. It's important to turn from that. Now, obviously, we don't want to go to the other extreme to become like the church of Ephesus that becomes so legalistic that they lose sight of Christ. But to come to a middle ground where you are able to repent and hold Christ in full glory 
to recognize him as the one who saved you and because he saved you to not give in to anything that is corrupt and immoral and wrong. It is Jesus Christ who is saying this. It is Jesus Christ, the judge, who will judge this. It is Jesus Christ who we hold to. So in the midst of compromise, in the midst of confusion, repent from that and turn back to Jesus Christ. Turn back to your first love, as they were reminded in Ephesus. And as they were reminded through Smyrna, hold on to your faith. Don't give up. See how the messages ring true. To not become driven by law, but to be driven by Christ. Not to give up by persecution, but hold on to your faith. And that rings true for Pergamum as much. Don't be compromised. Repent. Why? As he says in verse 16, Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you, to the church of Pergamum, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. I will come and fight against those who will not turn. This is... The outcome. This is the two sides. It's very much, if you can play with the idea of a coin, saying, I give you this coin. On the one side is the Roman gods, the Roman emperor. On the other side is me, who I am. The sword, the double-edged sword. Which one are you going to choose? Because the one you will actually feel the wrath of the double-edged sword. On the other side you will see my power, but find it reassuring. Find salvation. It's a simple equation. (laughs) It's a simple decision. Will we repent and turn and follow Jesus, love Him, persevere, Or will we resist and find ourselves at his sword? Seems like quite a harsh, strong message, but he's giving so much room for grace, for love, an opportunity to turn. Notice verse 17, whoever has a ear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And here's where the real grace comes into this message. It's a bit confusing, but it's there. Listen to these words, halfway through verse 17. To the one who is victorious, to the one that perseveres, to the one who repents, to the one who stays true and holds on to the faith that is found in Jesus Christ, to the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. Well, that's a little bit bizarre. Or the next one, I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. What on earth does that mean? Well, the hidden manna, first and foremost, if we know where manna originated and the story of it, it, we see it as God's provision. We see it as God's salvation for Israel that we're wandering through the desert, 
And he provided. It's his provision, his salvation, it's his love. But also it is the manna that is hidden essentially in the ark that becomes sacred, that becomes holy, that becomes something that they could no longer actually see. And now he says, I'll give that to you. Not only that, but I will also give that person a white stone. I don't know the last time any of you received um, a white stone from someone. It's not a common gift that we give to people. Perhaps the closest we come to that is coal on on Christmas, if, if we're that way inclined. But a white stone is rather peculiar. But a white stone was that of acquittal. It was that of what represented innocence. I will give a stone with your name on it that represents your innocence, your a reservation as well, that you have been reserved. And that name, a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. A name that ties us to Jesus Christ. A name that is ultimately his name. So here we have Pergamum, a terrible, actually a really terrible city, a difficult place to live, not that much different to ours in the sense that we live in a world, not just a city, but a world that is filled with all sorts of different persuasions of teaching, of thinking, of beliefs. People practicing what they believe freely, wherever they go. Obviously, the tides will change if that becomes enforced. That you have to acknowledge, you have to believe what everyone believes. But for us, the subtlety and the uncertainty of what is believed by people makes life complicated. And how easily we can be swayed by different types of teaching that gets put out there. How often Christianity that is proclaimed around the world is slanted by teachings that are influenced by other religions, other beliefs, other thought patterns, other movements, if we can put it that way. Or even if it is just the opening oneself up to sexual immorality, whether it is through what we watch on TV. I'm not saying don't watch TV, but I'm saying how we become corrupted by things. Wherever we turn, wherever we look, it's all around us. We're no exception to Pergamum. So if those things are ruling and affecting your life, if we are being compromised because of those things... Today is the day to call on Jesus Christ as Lord, to reveal that to us. By His Spirit, He can show us in our lives where we are going astray or being compromised. And by meeting like this, as a family, we are able to walk with one another, help one another, show one another things that we may be blind to, so that we will not face the sword 
but that we will receive the manna and the white stone. So I really hope that this is an encouragement to you. Last week I had a tough message with a simple answer. Hang in there. And I know it sucks. (laughs) But the tough message this morning is this world is complicated. So hang in there. Hang on to the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. Hang on to the truth of who He is. Turn where you need to turn from things that are leading you down roads that you shouldn't go. Not out of legalism, but out of a joy because Jesus Christ is the one that saves you and He gives you life. And that we don't want to face His sword. The reason why we don't want to face His sword. Let me just paint a picture for a moment. Revelation 19 says this. Just painting a picture of this sword-wheeling. Can I say sword-wheeling Savior? I wanted to add something else in there, but I won't. Revelation 19, he says this in verse 11 onwards, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. Notice the language in absolute contrast to what Pergamum was doing. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dripped dipped in blood and his name is the word of God the armies of heaven were following him riding on white horses and dressed in the linen white and clean coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations he will rule them with an iron scepter he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. I'm going to stop there. (laughs) That is an epic picture of one who is able to judge and rule and reign. And all I want to say is I don't want to be on the receiving end of that in the sense of being the enemies and the nations. That is a frightening picture for a reason. And here's the beauty of it. The one who wields that sword says to his churches, if you have an ear, listen. Hear what I'm saying. Repent. Hold on to your faith. Don't give up. It may be difficult. It may be hard in this life. But don't be compromised. For my sake... For my name's sake, don't be compromised. Because I am coming soon. And when I return, I will judge. Better than Pergamum, better than any person, better than any nation, better than any of the gods that they proclaim. But I am the one who gives life.
I'm the one who brings salvation. I'm the one who brings grace and forgiveness. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this letter and this word to Pergamum. It rings true for us as well. To really consider our lives. To hold on to the faith and to consider where we may be influenced by compromise. And to come to you. And by your spirit may we be discerning of anything that may be leading us astray. Whether it is subtleties of this life creeping into our homes or our schools or our even our church that we may come back to the truth of who you are as lord and savior jesus christ the one who saves the one who reigns the one who brings judgment and justice the one who brings life everlasting Gracious Father, I pray that we may hold fast to you. That we will not lose sight of your goodness. That we will not be swayed. And Heavenly Father, I pray that we may encourage one another, build one another up, remind one another daily as a family so that none of us may fall away and that we draw those around us in. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.